So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting, where we interview experts in the trenches at the forefront of consulting. On this episode, we're joined by Daniel Veroni, who is the author of a new book called Reimagining Industry Growth. He's also the founder of Pot- Potomac, sorry, I'm, <laughs> I struggle with the pronunciation here, um, but it's Potomac, is that correct, Daniel? Potomac Core. There we go. Potomac Core. Sorry about that. Um, A strategic consulting firm that specializes in association transformation and industry-focused strategic partnerships. Um, He's been featured on on CNBC, Fox Business, Dow Jones, Market Watch, Bloomberg, Forbes, the BBC, and finally, this very podcast. So I'm glad you finally made it here, Daniel. Absolutely thrilled to be here with you, Jonathan. Thank you for including me in this podcast. It's an honor. It's great to have you on. Um, so, Daniel, why don't we start off with uh, your uh, go-to approach or strategy that you might recommend to um, peers of yours in, in consulting? Strategy from a perspective of acquiring clients and building a book of business or something different? Uh, well, let's say, you know, for someone who's maybe uh, they've let you know they've, they're sort of coming out of maybe uh, a corporate setting and they're they're venturing into the world of world of independent consulting or um, like what what do you wish that you might had known when you were maybe earlier on during your 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 career that you would recommend to someone else? So that's an absolutely great question and and I think it's probably uh, it it's probably that I think that. Every person wanting to get in consulting needs to be built for the long haul. And what I mean by that is that you first need to have a clear vision of what you want to help your clients achieve, but it really comes from service, Jonathan. What is it I'm going to help them achieve and how am I going to help them do that? And then building a community, a community of people of 50 or 60 people that can uh, help you stay current with specific direction of where you think you need to go and what you need to learn and to have them keep you up to date all the time. So you're building your own community. Uh, It's a group in my case called the Strategic Guidance Lab, a group of 55 trade association CEOs, uh, all who collectively and individually are far smarter than I will ever be. And it's about learning the direction that they want to go and understanding how my business can help serve them and help them be successful and the industries they serve be successful. For anyone going into consulting today, the profit motive can't be the lead motive. The service motive must be the lead motive. The other thing that I would advise is thought leadership. What I mean by thought leadership is that If you are going to engage in whatever segment of a marketplace, you must have intellectual range. And intellectual range is having the ability to express a body of knowledge uh, about where things are going, why they're going there, and what it means to the marketplace. So I would suggest clearly a blog, absolutely a podcast, uh, and writing white papers and ultimately a book. Because all of that elevates your status as a thought leader and an authority in your segment. But that's something you build up to over a period of time. 
create a business plan that initially gives you a five-year horizon to do that. That's great. And, and the first part of your answer, I'm quite interested in, that's a big focus of, of the work that you do dealing with trade associations. Um, it's interesting, trade associations is not something that's necessarily come up uh, actually so far in this podcast. So I, I would love for you to maybe give us like a brief primer for someone who's not so familiar with, maybe they've heard the term, but they're just not, and they, they're vaguely aware of the concept. But is there any way that you could give like a, just a brief primer to help us understand a little right. bit more about trade so associations? Trade associations are institutional vehicles where industries can come together to do things like shape the external environment through advocacy and policy, whether it be at the federal level, the state level, or the local level. Uh, they can uh, brainstorm uh, outcomes. They can look at solutions to challenges. And what a trade association does is go far beyond what an individual company can do on its own. It's a community of like-minded executives and companies in the same industry. Yeah, I, lo I love that. Um, and I think um, I was reading some of the for, um, the, uh, the forward for your book, and uh, the chap uh, describes how, you know, they first came into a, a trade association. They're like, well, is this really going to be that helpful? You know, is it just going to be sort of, you know, people having not so interesting discussions and he actually found it extremely fruitful. Um, so that's, that was also quite a helpful, uh, prior, you know, explanation as well. So what was, especially, uh, his name is Steve Heese and Steve is a president, uh, of a major identifiable boating brand called Chris Craft. And I first met Steve four or five years ago and I asked him what, what got him involved. And he told me, and he just said, um, I was very skeptical at the outset. But what I learned is, is that I can get far smarter by engaging and learning and sharing with the people in the industry around this table than I could have by myself. And more importantly, and more importantly, I could utilize this as a pivot point to grow my business. And in the forward of the book, he says, if you're responsible for growing your business, this is what you want to do. This is what you want to do. And that's especially compelling, especially compelling nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, that's fantastic. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm curious, you know, this book was uh, published um, and the, the whole process was, was you went through the whole process as while, while we were going through a pandemic. Um, I'm curious about, you know, how, what really compelled you? You said, "Okay, right now's the time to uh, for, for you know for this book to come out." I'm, I'm curious about that. You know, I had started on a journey of researching the idea of a book, and believe me, it took many twists and turns. But when the lockdown hit, Jonathan, it just made perfect sense. Uh, regardless of having a, a, a full client slate, I said, uh, "I'm going to utilize this process to understand." how industry executives leverage these trade association relationships to build strategic partnerships and to understand whether or not there's any accretive value in it. And uh, I interviewed 25 different industry executives. And uh, I will tell you, without a doubt, the conversations were compelling. 
they led me to other information, other research uh, that painted uh, a, an interesting picture. It really created the pretext and the context for what is the book. Mm. And where, so having gone through this process now, is there anything that you look back uh, during that whole process of like, you know, leading up to the, the eventual publication of the book? Are there any things that you look back and you go, oh, I wish I knew, I wish I knew how long this was going to take, or I knew, I wish I knew this aspect of what goes into actually writing a book? So really none of that, because I was well-prepared, I absolutely expected to, to be as intensive as it was. But one of my clear takeaways, so one of the things that I did, um, and, and you'll see this in uh, the fourth and fifth case study, that for the first three case studies, I interviewed and, and took notes uh, with the industry executives. But what was different in the fourth and fifth case study was that I literally did Zoom interviews with these industry executives. Some of them were 60 minutes, some were 90 minutes, some were longer. The takeaways, the gold nuggets that came from those conversations were off the charts. So in the next book, and yes, there will be another book, um, I will do video recordings of uh, a number of executives because the takeaway value, the gold nugget value is just off the charts. So I quote different executives throughout the book, but you'll notice in the chapter on asphalt pavement and on frozen foods that I actively quote industry executives throughout the chapter. They're literally telling the story, not just of the industry, but how the partnership absolutely makes a difference in how the industry moves forward through challenges and how it leverages opportunities as a result of the strategic partnership. Right. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to approaching, you know, strategic partnerships, do you think there are any um, big kind of misconceptions or mistakes or traps uh, that executives tend to fall into um, that you kind of have to help people overcome? So I first want to give you what I learned in my research was the genesis of company to company-to-company company strategic partnerships. I mean, yeah. it was really fascinating, Jonathan. Uh, it was something that happened in the 90s. These were companies uh, and executives and boards that didn't want to enter into mergers. They wanted to leverage strengths that they didn't have. They wanted to be able to share resources with the other company. The other company could share resources with them. They would get into markets they currently didn't have. Um, but they built specific structures around governance. Governance meaning, so what are we both going to do? What are we both going to bring to the table? How are we going to measure that success? How are we going to be transparent and accountable to one another? And it was fascinating. And I want to tell you of an interesting strategic partnership, uh, actually one of my favorites, between Starbucks and Barnes & Noble. I want you to think of all of the brand success and the brand experience from Starbucks and bringing that into a Barnes and Noble store. So when you walk into a Barnes and Noble, you smell that coffee and it almost takes on the shape of a Starbucks store with a reading and community experience. And I will share with you that Barnes and Noble is one of the last standing bricks and mortar 
bookstores here in the United States. And I believe that to a very large degree, it's as a result of that strategic partnership. Uh, it's absolutely phenomenal. So when I talk about strategic partnership, the ability to get you to a place that you're currently not at. So from a Starbucks perspective, they were able to move into an audience that they currently weren't in front of. They could reinforce their existing brand from people who already went to Starbucks. Uh, so that would be one example. The other example that I also will talk about is Frappuccino, Starbucks and PepsiCo. PepsiCo makes the Frappuccino. So when you see those bottles of Frappuccino, that's PepsiCo that's doing it. So again, thinking about ways that you can further extend your reach well beyond where it is today. So looking at that, I will also tell you that I was influenced heavily uh, from a book that I read back in the 90s called Pour Your Heart Into It by Howard Schultz, who is the founder and the former chairman and CEO of Starbucks, a remarkable leader, an outstanding business executive who believes that winning is about bringing people along with you. He brings his employees along with him, brings his customers along with him, and it's really impressive. But what he does is he builds a third place between work and home. The third place between work and home is really about what the strategic partnership is all about from a trade association perspective and from an industry perspective. The industry has to see the trade association as sharing one of the same values, right? It's got to see it as reflecting its management approaches as having the same business acumen, as having the ability to surface challenges, as having the ability to be that neutral integrator to bring people together and be that third place between work and home. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to make the assumption that, you know, with, with strategic partnerships, uh, it sounds like it's not really possible unless you have a win-win mentality. It's not a zero-sum game. Um, is that sometimes a challenge that you find that, you, you know, you're transitioning people from that mindset of like, oh, no, we've got to, you know, count the pennies or... or um... You know, what's interesting. So uh, part of our uh, approach, Jonathan, is we have a research-based methodology. And we don't do these satisfaction surveys. We do industry surveys. So what are your awake at night challenges today? What are the outcomes that you're looking to achieve? Uh, help us understand how aligned you believe this trade association is with the challenges and outcomes that you face. And we ask a number of questions, a series of questions that help the industry see that they've got a lot of challenges in common and a lot of outcomes in common. And what they learn through the experience is that they are far greater together than they are alone. Um, and let me give you another example of that. So what's interesting to me is that people coming out of business school are well-trained and they're focused on what they need to do to help their individual companies be successful. What I do, what my team does, my team and I do, is we help industries build these institutional frameworks that help them see, help them come to terms with the value of winning as an industry. Uh, they see the value of this rising tide that lifts all boats strategy. 
and how effective it can be. And it's very, very powerful. Yeah. And, and would I be correct in saying it's also a question of um, moving away from the tunnel vision of like, oh, we're just in this by ourselves, actually looking at the wider ecosystem and sort of appear, you know, peering over the horizon and seeing what else is out there. So you're absolutely right. So let's talk about some examples of there's a lot of talk about reshoring or nearshoring companies, right? And, you know, there are problems with the supply chain. So the issue is, should companies do it or should industries do it? Because if industries do it, you can bring in the whole supply chain and you can utilize the trade association as the neutral integrator to bring people together and to brainstorm what might be. Uh, it becomes a very powerful platform to consider strategic alternatives. And then, and then industries can use trade associations as uh, to build these private-public partnerships. Let's say they want to go to a part uh, of the United States um, and they, they need a workforce with a certain type of skill. The trade association can reach out to different education officials and local governing bodies and say, we'd like to come here, but could we partner with you uh, to build programs or identify programs that will increase a skill set that will help us hire the workers that we need? So it's that kind of thing. It's winning together versus winning versus winning versus winning alone. Why that's important today is because look at where we are right now. We are in a period of chronic uncertainty, chronic uncertainty. Five years ago, would you have I predicted a global pandemic? Would we have predicted uh, military conflict? The answer is no. So on top of that, you've got this rapidly new and evolving technology. You've got these new startups. You've got all these different things going on in the world, political polarization. You've, you need a platform, a strategic partnership that brings the whole industry together, that helps in, envision a new, different, and far more positive future than you have today. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the uh, things I'm, I'm always you know, interested about is when you see these burgeoning like startup ecosystems that come out of the middle of nowhere, like Boulder, Colorado, why, why there? But it seems as though they just had people who were really invested in bringing the whole ecosystem to work together. Um, yes. So it kind of speaks to that sort of, you know, win-win and ecosystem mentality. Yeah. Each, each of the case studies in my book has mm -hmm. ecosystems in it. Yeah. In particular, the uh, recreational boating ecosystem. When you look at, Everyone from raw materials all the way to the dealers that sell the boats, think of the leverage and the efficiency that they have to be able to figure out what everyone needs and to fully embrace that what happens or what affects one of us affects all of us. It's absolutely tough to beat. The inherent value in it is impressive if you're an executive. You've got the ability to see everybody uh, in the supply chain or the, in this case, the value chain from raw materials all the way to the people that deal with, with potential buyers of boats, meaning the dealers. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and so if someone's interested in, in learning more about, um, you know, this approach to sort of reimagining industry growth, um, where's the best place for them to, uh, to find your, your book? Where's the best place for them to so they can find it in, in three places that will identify that's uh, fast, easy, and efficient. 
Uh, first is they can go to amazon.com and uh, enter reimagining industry growth and the book's going to come up and they can get it the next day. They can go to Barnes and Noble and a reimagining industry growth and do the same thing. Or they can go to our website at potomacore.com and there are links to all the sites uh, for you to order the book. What's more, there are people who have uh, endorsed the book, endorsed specific value about the book, and people will be able to learn about the value in the book. But by all means, what this book will do for anyone who reads it is it will provide five concrete case studies on how industries built these partnerships, how they've overcome challenges, and how they've better either positioned for growth or they've achieved growth as a result of the partnerships. Yeah. Well, one of the uh, the reviews I, I read said that the the case studies kind of speak for themselves. So it's less, you know, aggression of like the author trying to push an idea on you. It's more actually them just you know these case studies actually just speak for themselves instead. So when, when you think yeah. about the audience, you know, the, the audience is clearly business executives. Yeah. Uh, it can be people in business schools, um, can be people from trade associations, but most importantly, having the ability to learn from people who have industry executives who have lived through these challenges, built these institutional frameworks and these ecosystems uh, is extremely beneficial. Yeah, that's great. Um, and finally, as, as we as we wrap up here, would you be able to tell people where they can connect with you online, uh, where they can find out more about your work? So the, again, they can go to my website at potomacore.com. Uh, and, and do that, they can email us at team at potomacore.com. They can find us on LinkedIn. We're clearly located on LinkedIn and we're on Twitter. Fantastic. Well, Daniel, I want to thank you uh, so much for, for coming on. He um, finally made it to our show after the BBC and all the other um, platforms you've been on. So I appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak with us. We're happy to be here. Um, and Look forward to continuing our conversations with you and others about reimagining industry growth. Excellent. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you.